Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Um, in the last several weeks, we have been walking through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. And today we're pushing the timeout button on that. And we are going to look at the scripture you just heard read uh, from Sharon in John chapter 12. And the reason we're doing that is because um, our a community of churches, our a fellowship of churches in Southern California um, is called a presbytery. And uh, if you can spell that, I'll give you a dollar. It's called a presbytery. And our presbytery today uh, is focusing on church planting. And if you received the bulletin today or if you scanned these um, QR codes, you've got the bulletin. And in the bulletin there, you can see there's all sorts of information about planting churches. And ECO, which is the name of our movement, our denomination, uh, it stands for Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. And that's why we call it ECO, because there's way too many syllables to say the other thing. So ECO, our denomination, uh, is really focusing on and investing in becoming a church planting movement. The reason is because planting churches has been shown over and over again to be the most effective way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the unchurched or people who have not yet known or heard the good news. And so our denomination is saying, hey, let's become a movement of church plants. And so I want us to consider John chapter 12 today because I think that God might be inviting us as a congregation to adopt a church planting posture, a church planting posture. And what I mean by that is what does it look like for us as individuals, as disciples, us as a congregation to be self-sacrificing for the sake of others? And that self-sacrificing is what is at the heart of church planting. So, a number of you maybe remember out on the Magnolia frontage in front of the church, um, we still have a number of agave out there, these wonderful succulents. Uh, we used to have a bunch more. Uh, but uh, some of you probably noticed that recently two of those agave bloomed, like these massive blooms of flowers come out of these agave, and they create these like really tall flowers, and they get so tall they can't actually hold themselves up, so they end up sort of bending over. Do any of you remember seeing these agave bloom? Was it, yeah, a couple of you. It was beautiful, a beautiful thing. And one of the things about agaves is agave plants, not all of them, but most of them, agave plants are what is called a monocarpic succulent. Okay, say that with me. No, I'm just kidding. Monocarpic succulent. So here's the word for the day, mono. Carpic. I actually, I shared this with a master gardener. I was like, hey, do you think you could uh, explain to the congregation what monocarpic succulents uh, are about? And she said um, she knows what they are, but she's like, I've never heard that word before. Um, so I'm guessing that maybe many of you have also not heard the term monocarpic. 
And I learned what monocarpic meant this week. It uh, comes from the two words mono and capri means single fruiting. So a monocarpic succulent or a monocarpic plant is a plant that fruits or flowers one time. One time. So those amazing agave flowers out front in the magnolia frontage, those amazing agave flowers, that was it. That was all she wrote. That was all she gave. Here's what GardeningKnowHow.com says about monocarpic plants. A monocarpic succulent uses all its energy for one final bloom and fruiting and has nothing left to sustain itself. The ultimate of sacrifice, the spent parent, gives its life for the future of its progeny. And if all goes well, the seeds will land in a suitable location to germinate, and the pups, those are the little agave plants that come out the side, kind of from the roots, the pups and the seeds will root themselves, and the whole process starts anew. Isn't that cool that God created the world which is good, and he gave us the gift of monocarpic succulents for lots of reasons, one of which is probably just to look at them. They're beautiful. But also as an example of what sacrifice looks like. This beautiful picture of the ultimate sacrifice, investing all of its energy towards seeding the next generation of agave. I've spoke here uh, before about the Pacific Salmon Salmon are amazing creatures, and I used to salmon and steelhead fish with my dad on the Snake River in the state of Washington. We would fish near the Lower Granite Dam, and some of the salmon and the steelhead that we were fishing for were on their way upriver to a place called Redfish Lake, Idaho. Now, Redfish Lake, Idaho is called that because the lake would turn red with all of the red salmon in it. But Redfish Lake, Idaho, is, uh, is 900 river miles from the Pacific Ocean. So these fish would swim 900 river miles upstream. Now, if I was better at math, I could figure this out. Because when you're going against the current for 900 miles, it's probably more like you've actually swam 16 or 1,700 miles. And Redfish Lake is 6,500 feet above sea level. Right, so if any of you have ever done the hike up Mount Whitney, 6,500 feet is the elevation gain of the hike up Mount Whitney. So this is what these salmon do on their trek from the Pacific Ocean to Redfish Lake, 900 miles. That's like riding a bike from here to Portland. Okay, it's a long distance. And this trip is literally a killer trip for these salmon because once they get to Redfish Lake in Idaho, these exhausted and beaten and battered and starving salmon, the very final act of their lives is to spawn and to make new life for the next generation of salmon possible. So without the sacrificial death of mature salmon, new life for the next generation of salmon simply would not be possible. Now, salmon don't have agency. They can't choose not to migrate up the rivers. They can't choose to not do this. But if they could, it would take four years for the entire salmon population to be extinct. Without the sacrificial death of salmon, new life for more salmon just isn't possible. And we could say the same about the agave plant. Without the agave plant's sacrificial burst of energy 
to create these flowers which turn into seeds and plant and land in the soil and ultimately die and sprout new life without that sacrificial process then there would never be any more agave now uh, jesus doesn't talk at all about salmon as far as i know uh, jesus doesn't talk at all about agave as far as i know but he certainly could have been speaking about both of them here when he says unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies it remains just a single seed. But if it dies, like the salmon and like the agave, it bears much fruit. Now, salmon and agave plants don't have agency, as I have said. They don't have the option to choose to do otherwise, but we do, don't we? We can choose whether or not to be salmon-like or agave-like. We can choose whether or not to preserve our own life or give ourselves a way to invest in the lives of others or the next generation. E. Stanley Jones, the great British missionary theologian to India, he wrote this. He said, to put your ego to death is to surrender like a flower to the sun. To put your ego to death is to surrender like a flower to the sun. Think about that. A sun, a sunflower, let's think about a sunflower, surrenders to the sun. A sunflower just says, okay, sun, wherever you are, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to follow you across the sky. A sunflower surrenders its entire existence to the sun. Is this a bad thing? No, this is a great thing because the sun is the source of the sunflower's life. And what E. Stanley Jones is saying here is the same thing that Jesus has said. To put your ego to death is to surrender like a flower to the sun. Surrender. It's surrender that brings life and vibrancy to the sunflower. And it's surrender that I'm going to suggest brings life and vibrancy to you. Surrender is something that those who are pursuing recovery know all about. The first two steps in Celebrate Recovery are these. First of all, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives had become unmanageable. And secondly, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Does that sound like surrender? It sounds like surrender to me. We admitted that we were powerless. There was nothing that we could do with our own power to overcome our challenges. But we also came to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves who can restore our sanity, who can restore our life to wholeness and to fullness. Those who are pursuing recovery know all about surrender. About 10 days ago, I was here when 11 women at Celebrate Recovery who had just finished a step study, 11 women stood up here on this platform and told uh, a small portion of each of their stories. Their stories of surrender. Their stories of acknowledging that they were powerless to overcome their challenges. And their story of surrender to a power greater than themselves whose name is Jesus. And it struck me that the primary thing that I was seeing on this stage as those 11 women spoke, the primary thing I was seeing was courage. 
it struck me how courageous these 11 women were, that they would stand up in front of their friends and their peers and strangers too, and in vulnerability tell a portion of their story, their story of surrender. It takes so much courage to do that. So I don't know about you, but when I think of the word surrender, I sometimes think that sounds like weakness. You know, it sounds like raising the white flag, giving up. It sounds like weakness. But when I saw these 11 women stand up here and tell a miniature version of their own surrenderings, I didn't see weakness. I saw courage. It takes a lot of courage to surrender to Jesus. Okay, so John chapter 12, what's going on here? It's fascinating to me that the way this passage begins is we hear that some Greeks, some non-Jews, they, they're going to Jerusalem, and uh, they've heard about this Jesus guy. They've heard that, um, well, they've heard all sorts of things, and they say, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And everything that Jesus says is a response to that request. They say, we want to see Jesus, and then word gets to Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, let me show you a bit about myself. And Jesus says this. He says, the hour has come. Now, what's he talking about? In John's gospel, every time we come across the word hour, we know that Jesus or John or anyone in John's gospel, they're talking about the cross. Right? The hour is not the lunch hour or the break hour or five o'clock somewhere. The hour is the hour of Jesus' death on the cross. So Jesus says the hour has come. In other words, the time has come for him to be crucified. The hour has come for the Son of Man, and you expect him to say for the Son of Man to be crucified because that's what the hour means. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified, but he doesn't say that. He says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you go, wait, wait a minute. Crucified, glorified, what gives? Like these are not the same thing. What does crucifixion have to do with glorification? And here's how they relate. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Son of Man is glorified when he is lifted up on the cross. Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, this is when we see God's glory most clearly. This is what God looks like. This is the character of God on display. Jesus, crucified on the cross, having surrendered his will to the Father's will, having laid down his life for the life of others. Do you see how Jesus looks an awful lot like an agave plant? How he looks an awful lot like a salmon? Or maybe we could even say how he looks an awful lot like a sunflower. The cross reveals God's character to us. And whenever God's character is revealed, he's glorified. Because when we can see God clearly, we give him glory. If you can see God clearly, you are amazed. And if you can see Jesus on the cross, you are seeing God's character. And he is glorified. And did you notice how Jesus ended? He said, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. And whoever serves me, the Father will honor. The Father will honor. The Father will honor whoever serves me. 
if you want to share in God's glory, if you want to share in God's honor, you must share in his suffering and in his death. You must die to self. You must put your ego to death. You must become like the 11 women that I saw the other night give their testimonies about how they had surrendered, about how they had made a decision to put their ego to death and surrender to self. You must become like the agave who invests all of its energy and gives up its own life for the life of the next generation. You must become like the salmon. Well, you must become like Jesus. If you want to share in God's glory, you must also share in his death, a death to self. Now, as I began, I said today is our church planting Sunday. So what does this have to do with church planting? Well, if we are to become a church planting movement, then we must become a movement that embraces a culture of death to ego. Right? As long as we are grasping on to our own existence and our own safety and our own well-being, hanging on to life with all, of we've, all that we've got, as long as we are doing that, we will not be a church planting movement because we will be about me. Not me, Peter, but, you know, us. Like, we'll be about me. In order for us to become a church planning movement, we must open our hand and give ourselves the way that Jesus gave himself to others. And when a disciple chooses to surrender, it reveals God's character to the world. But what happens when a whole congregation chooses to surrender? And what happens when a whole movement like the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. What happens when ECO becomes a movement of surrender? God is glorified. In Acts chapter 2, we read about uh, the early church, and we read about the disciples who are gathered with a bunch of others who have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and God miraculously pours out his Holy Spirit onto the people. And when he pours out the Holy Spirit, this amazing and quite frankly weird thing happens. All the people who are gathered there begin to be able to speak in languages that they didn't know. Languages that they didn't learn in school. They began to speak in these other languages so that they could communicate the gospel to all of the masses who had gathered in Jerusalem for the festival. When the Holy Spirit is poured out in the early church, they begin to speak in languages that others can understand. What happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a place like this or on the churches in Huntington Beach? I think one of the things that happens is we are enabled to speak a language that other people can understand. And I'm not sure, I mean, I'm open to this, but I'm not sure, for example, that, uh, that if the Holy Spirit were to pour out on me, uh, that I would be able to speak Mandarin. Maybe. That would be awesome. I'd be open to that. Jesus, if that's what you want, bring it on. But I don't know that that's going to happen. But I do know 
that when the Spirit is poured out and moves, he enables us to speak in the language of surrender and sacrifice. And that's a language that everybody understands. Nobody can consider the story of the Pacific salmon and not be moved. Nobody can think about an agave, a monocarpic succulent, and go, hmm, whatever. Nobody can look at Jesus Christ who gave up his life and not be moved because the language of surrender and sacrifice speaks. It will speak to your colleagues. It will speak to your neighbors. It will speak to your families. It will speak. Friends, what would it look like for us to be a church planting church or a church planting denomination? What would it look like if God was calling you to be engaged in a church planting process? One of the reasons I'm talking about this today is because I wonder if somebody out there online or here on the patio, if there's somebody that God is inviting to become a church planter or to become engaged in church planting. And that kind of activity is incredibly sacrificial because what it would require for us as a congregation, it would require us letting go. It would require us to invest our energy in somebody else, to invest our resources in somebody else, and to be willing to die to self. It would require that we become more like Jesus. So whether it's through individuals, you, whether it's through our congregation, Christ Pacific Church, or whether it's through our national movement of churches known as ECO, a church planning movement really is about embracing a culture of surrender and self-sacrifice. It's about becoming more like a salmon, more like an agave, more like a sunflower, more like Jesus, who gave himself for the life of the world. So how might the living God be inviting you to speak that universal language of surrender? and self-sacrifice for the sake of his kingdom? That's the question that I want you to wrestle with as you go from this place. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present here today. We thank you that you are a God who never leaves us, abandons us, or forsakes us but that your love is everlasting and everlasting. That you are abounding in steadfast love, mercy, and grace. Jesus, thank you that you emptied yourself, that you became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, that you surrendered, not in a raise the white flag, give up weak kind of way, but in a massively courageous and bold act of sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, that you reveal God's character to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the image of God. And that when we see you, especially when we see you crucified, we see God's character. Would you now, O oh Holy Spirit, awaken us, enliven us, equip us to speak the language of sacrifice? so that our neighbors, our colleagues, our peers, our friends, our families 
might see Jesus and give glory to God. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to at 